Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. So thank you for joining us for this online service. Today we're continuing our God Who Rescues message series, and we're talking about God rescuing us from injustice. So here's what I'd ask. I'd ask you to go to our chat, go to our comments, and go ahead and comment if there's a particular injustice you'd like to see God tackle in our world. Now, when we talk about injustice, I was on social media this week, and I came across the story of Mohammed Aisha, who in 2017, he left his home country of Syria, and he boarded a trading vessel. It was a a freight vessel moving through the oceans of the world, and this vessel, it was actually detained in an Egyptian port. They detained it because it wasn't clearing some of its safety inspections. Now, the, the company that leased and operated the boat, they weren't going to pay to have the boat fixed. And the owners of the vessel, they couldn't afford to pay to have the boat fixed. And so the boat sat there. The Egyptian captain actually left and went ashore. And the Egyptian courts declared that Mr. Mohammed Aisha to be the legal guardian of the vessel, meaning they wouldn't let him leave. They wouldn't let him Egypt. They wouldn't let him enter Egypt where he might flee. And it was it wouldn't pass safety inspection, so he couldn't take it out to port. So Mohammed Aisha was stuck on this vessel for four years before he was let go to his home country of Syria to be rejoined to his family. You hear a story like that and you think, that's not fair. That's not just. I hear that story and I think, that isn't fair. That's not just. I want to be alone on a boat by myself for four years as well. Now, if my wife or kids are watching, that's not true at all. It's just a joke. It's really true. It's, true. it's not true at all. I'm, I'm just playing. But You know, the story highlights the way injustice, it really comes into us from different different directions. It really comes at us. And, And, you know, sometimes we get stuck in the crack between where the law ends and justice begins. We live in an unjust world. We experience injustice. And here in the book of Exodus, as we're studying Exodus, it reminds us that God sees us and hears us when we are stuck in bondage and enslaved by the circumstances of our lives. The Lord saw that the Israelites were stuck in bondage. He saw that they were stuck in injustice. And the Lord told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 9, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. You see, for many years, the Israelites had been in bondage in Egypt, but God had a plan to rescue them. The Lord said to Moses in our passage today, I'm going to strike the land of Egypt with one more blow. And that's where we're going to pick up is in Exodus 11. Remember, up until this point, Moses has come to Egypt. He has confronted Pharaoh. God has sent 10 plagues upon the land of Egypt. And each time Pharaoh has been resistant to letting the Israelites go, that's where we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 11, verse 1 where the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to strike Pharaoh in the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he'll be so eager to get rid of you that he'll force you all to leave. Tell all the Israelite men and women to ask their Egyptian neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Now the Lord had caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the people of Israel, and Moses was considered a very great man in the land of Egypt, respected by Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people alike. Now, Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart 
of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl, who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has ever heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. All the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave, they will beg. Hurry and take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. Now, just to remind you, the the Israelites were dealing with enormous injustice in Egypt, and we'll talk much more about that today. But many people in our day experience injustice in some sort of way as well. There are many, maybe some of you watching today who have experienced discrimination based on the color of your skin. There are many who felt betrayed or disenfranchised by their representatives or leaders who have have sought to use them for their own personal benefit. And let's not forget that in some measure, our nation was born out of a cry of injustice, no taxation without representation. We should remember too that injustice is problematic because it creates all sorts of secondary bondages, anger, addiction, bitterness, bias, depression, and many, many more. You see, when you've been dealt an injustice, it cultivates anger in your heart. You hold on to that anger. It leads to certain addictions. It holds all these lingering effects. It was Paul who said, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. See, injustice can give a foothold to the devil, a stronghold in our hearts for the devil to torment us. I heard a story one time of a very vain movie star who had commissioned an artist to to paint a portrait of him. And and when he saw this portrait, he complained to the painter. He said, this this portrait, it doesn't do my my, my face justice. And the, the painter said, your face doesn't need justice, it needs mercy. We all need some mercy in our lives, but we all need justice as well. We, live, we need to live in a world that makes sense. We need to live in a world where right is right and wrong is wrong. Like it or not, we live in a world where that does not always take place. And while we'll never fully rid the world of injustice in our lifetimes, there are some things we can do to overcome injustice when we counter it. So today we want to explore how can we better deal with injustice in the world and in our lives, and we're going to give you three major things today. Number one, when dealing with injustice, we need to remember that the world has always been full of injustice. It's always been there. It's been there for a long, long time, and sometimes it's helpful to remember that something's been there for a long, long time. My in-laws, one of their favorite musicians of all time is Willie Nelson. Their first date was to a Willie Nelson concert, and my wife, Tambra, if, if she had been a boy, they had planned to name her Willie after Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson was born in 1933. He really began his music career in the 1950s, but he didn't hit it big until the 1970s. And I can remember as a young child, knowing Willie Nelson was that old country singer my parents liked to listen to. Willie Nelson is someone who's been around a long time. He's 88 years old and he's still touring. You can still go see him. 
in concert. And what makes his longevity all the more interesting and amazing is his monumental weed habit that he has carried for much of his life. In fact, Willie Nelson may be the only guy who has smoked more weed than Snoop Dogg. Nevertheless, he's still touring. He's still going on. One of the funniest things my father-in-law ever said to me is he leaned over and he said, you know, Sometimes I wonder what kind of world your generation is going to leave for your kids and for Willie Nelson. I think he may be right. I think Willie Nelson may outlast me. Now, I I talk about Willie Nelson because I think about Willie Nelson, it, it helps me put things in perspective. When I think about injustice, it's helpful to me to recognize I'm not the first person to endure injustice, and you're not the first person to endure injustice. And the injustice we see in the world around us has been here for a long, long time. Now, if there's any question about the injustice that the Israelites were bearing, I want to give you a throwback scripture from Exodus chapter 1. We know that the Israelites were slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt, but in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us about how pointed the injustice against the Israelites was. Exodus 1, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Fast forward 80 years, and Moses comes back to town. Fast forward 80 years, and that's where we are today. And we don't know everything that happened in those 80 years. It may well be that this practice was maintained for 80 years, 80 years of genocide against the Hebrew boys. It may be that it was discontinued because at some point, you start running out of a slave labor force. We don't know exactly what happens, but we know that the genocide was heinous. We know that the injustice was heinous. And it begs the question, why? Why is there so much injustice in our world? Well, I'll give you two big reasons for that. Number one, the world is full of injustice because it has an unjust ruler. It has an unjust ruler. Jesus said this, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, the son of God, savior of the world, identified Satan as the ruler of this world. The Bible describes Satan as the ruler of the world. It was the devil who tempted Adam and Eve and so introduced sin into the world. And it's Satan himself who is the author of injustice. You see, the devil hates creation. He hates you and me. He seeks to harm and disrupt creation as much as possible, especially Christians, especially those of us who have given our lives to Jesus and are living for the Lord. Jesus described the devil this way, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, a lot of folks look at the injustice around us and they ask the question, how can there be a God who allows injustice? Have you ever found yourself wondering that? wrestling with that question, with the problem of evil? How, if there is a God, how could there be all of this evil? And understand this, this is the devil's objective, to discourage faith in the Lord, to defeat the pursuit of God. But in a way, injustice actually proves the existence of God. What is just injustice but the absence of good in the face of of evil, but the very idea of good and evil rely upon an objective moral standard and ultimate good. You see, there can be no concept of justice whatsoever without a God. And thusly, there can be no concept of injustice without God. And it's not just justice. Do you love your spouse? Do you love your family? Well, not without God. 
because without God, you don't have love. You have brain chemicals. Do you, do you love freedom? Do you love singing the national anthem? Do you love living in the land of freedom? Not without God, because without God, your actions are predetermined by the psychological processes of your brain, and that freedom is only illusion. Justice, love, freedom, these are things that we cannot have without God. The enemy has sown injustice into the world to obstruct our vision of God, but in so doing has demonstrated that there must be a God. I can I can remember as a young man, my mother would sometimes stay up late to make sure I came home all right. And, and a couple days after I'd come home, she confronted me and she said, several days ago when you came home, I smelled alcohol on your breath. And I said, that's impossible because when I came home, I made it a point not to breathe around you. That ranks among the dumbest things I have ever said. Why? Because my, my deception actually revealed the truth. My lie revealed the truth. And the devil's lie about injustice reveals the truth that there is a God who has created a good world, but it's the devil himself who is the culprit in sowing injustice into our world. The world is full of injustice because it has an unjust ruler, but also because it's filled with unjust people. Maybe it was Satan who brought injustice and sin into the world, but people have all too often been willing to be his instruments. The psalmist wrote, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God, but no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Now, Paul actually quoted this passage in Romans chapter three when he was making the case that all humanity has sinned. In a sense, we've all found ourselves on the wrong side of God's justice. Recently in our home, uh, we had some work done, and the work was done to prepare some, repair some damage I had done. Uh, I had done some damage uh, to our home because I, something had died somewhere in our house. It, it was evidently somewhere in our walls. I couldn't see it. I could only smell it. So I did my best to let my nose lead me to where the problem was. Problem was, I'm not a bloodhound. And so I kept punching holes in all the wrong spots. I eventually needed to have my whole closet fixed. What was the problem? The problem was I was blind to where the problem was. I was working blind. I was unable to fix it. I ended up doing a lot of damage in my attempts to fix it. Understand this. I desired to do the right thing, the good thing, but my blindness caused me to do damage. And what I would submit to you is that all of humanity has been blinded by the devil and our attempts at justice often fall short because we have fallen short of the glory of God. One reason injustice is so prominent is because the devil has in fact blinded many to the righteousness of God. Paul said that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand his message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So I want you to ask this question. How has your life or someone you know been impacted by injustice. In fact, I'd love it if in our chat, if you could engage with us, let us know where you've seen injustice. Let us know where you've been impacted 
by injustice. We've also got a survey uh, that you can take at webcc.info under our news and events tab to let us know your perspectives. Now, when dealing with injustice, we need to remember that the world has always been full of injustice. We also need to believe that God will bring about justice. When dealing with injustice, we need to believe that God will bring about justice. I'm not saying you know this. I'm saying you are believing this with your heart. In verses four and five of our passage, we read earlier, Moses announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I'm going to pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. You read that and you think, wow, that's a heavy passage. Wow, that's a heavy couple of verses of scripture. But when we remember that this is the justice the judgment of God, of the injustice the Egyptians had formerly perpetrated, one might actually describe this punishment as lenient, perhaps even merciful. In any case, it took 80 years. It took 80 years for God to bring about judgment for the Egyptians for killing the Hebrew boys. Can you imagine the pain of every Hebrew mother and father who died before they got to see that act judged, who died before they got to see justice. And can I just tell you, when we've been dealt an injustice, we have to trust, we have to believe that God is going to fix it. He's going to fix the injustices of our world. Now, I've heard some talk about how, talk about justice and injustice is a distraction from the gospel. But when we look at Jesus's own mission statement, we see that justice is a key part of the gospel. It was Jesus himself who said, the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus is saying, God has sent me to make things right. So let's break that down. What's the Lord going to bring about? Number one, God's going to bring about good news to the poor. When time a Man went to see the doctor. The doctor said, well, you're not going to like this, but I've got good news and bad news for you. Which do you want first? The man said, I'll, I'll take the good news. The doctor said, we ran some tests, and it turns out you only have 72 hours to live. The man said, wait, that's the good news? How can that be, how can that be the good news? What's, what's the bad news? And the doctor said, well, we ran the test 48 hours ago. Hopefully, that's not the way your doctor talks to you. That's not very good news at all, but Jesus had some good news. He said he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus' good news to the poor was not that they would suddenly find themselves wealthy beyond their wildest imagination, that their fortune would reverse. Jesus' good news was that of a cosmic reversal. There are two lives, a temporary one and an eternal one. And if you're willing to let go of your life here on earth, your temporary one, for the sake of Jesus, your reward will be eternal comfort, eternal security, and eternal riches in heaven. This is, of course, good news to everyone who seeks to take advantage of the offer, but it's especially good news to those who are poor and have relatively little to lose in this life. You see, the promise and hope of salvation in Jesus is more valuable than any kind of worldly wealth. That's why Jesus said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God's gonna bring bring about good news to the poor. He's also gonna bring about liberty to those in captivity. You may know someone who spent some time 
in jail or prison. You may understand the pain of confinement or incarceration yourself, but there are far more people in spiritual prisons, emotional prisons, relational prisons, still captive, still carrying a ball and chain from mistakes they made decades ago. Jesus said, he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Now, sometimes we have to pay the earthly consequences for our earthly crimes, and sometimes we have to deal with earthly injustices. But the point is this, even Christians who find themselves in chains behind prison walls, justly or unjustly, have spiritual freedom in Christ. I think about Charles Colson, who was a special advisor to Richard Nixon and ended up serving some jail time for his involvement in the Watergate scandal many years ago. And when the investigation began closing in around him, he surrendered his life to Jesus. The next year, he was convicted of his crimes and sentenced to a short prison term. After his release, Chuck Colson became heavily involved in prison ministry. And if he were alive today, Chuck Colson would probably tell you that he had more freedom in that prison cell than all the years of his life that he lived without Christ because Jesus came into his life and freed him from that spiritual bondage, that emotional bondage. And that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for the Lord is spirit, wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God's going to bring about liberty for the captives and also sight for the blind. Jesus said, he has sent me to proclaim that the blind will see. Now, as someone who has, is, is very reliant upon my own glasses, as someone who has more silly stories about things I've tripped over, fallen, or mistaken in the middle of the night without my glasses, I can totally vouch for how important it is to be able to see straight, to be able to see right. Now, seeing the physical around world around us is important, but as important as it is to see the physical world, it's even more important to see beyond this world Paul said, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Jesus came to give us spiritual sight. God's gonna bring about freedom to the oppressed as well. He sent me to reclaim the oppressed will be set free. There are a lot of people in our world who are oppressed. The political rulers, they expect the people to serve them than the other way around. Some people are oppressed by their addictions. Some people are oppressed by a domineering spouse or boss. Understand this though, there is no oppression in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a place of freedom. God's gonna bring about freedom for the oppressed. He's also gonna bring about favor for his people. Jesus said, he has sent me to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I feel like I need to say this. And many of you listening, many of you watching, you really wonder if God does love you. You really wonder if God could even like you. I wanna tell you this, God likes you. God loves you. God made you. He loves you. He adores you. You don't have to win his affection or impress him, and there's nothing you can do to make him like you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to earn more of his adoration or affection. He likes you because he made you, and he likes you so much that he paid with the life of his own son, Jesus, to be able to adopt you into his own family. But hear this, as much as the Lord likes you, as much as he loves you, his blessings, many of his blessings are family blessings and they're not available to you, they're not accessible to you until you receive the adoption he has sought to lavish upon you. You have to come into his family to experience those 
blessings. The Lord desires to bless his people and he will extend his blessings at the right time. Now, let me add one more thing. Jesus's coming initiated God bringing justice to our world, but Jesus's second coming will finalize it. And we are living in that in-between stage. Peter said, the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Now, we've talked a lot about injustice and why it's here and what God's gonna do about it. There are probably some of you who are wondering, why is it taking so long? When is God going to do this? When can we finally get some justice? We're about to get to that. When dealing with injustice, we need to, number one, remember that, that that injustice has been around a long, long time. Number two, we need to believe that, that the Lord is going to bring about justice. Number three, when dealing with injustice, we need to be prepared to be judged by God. We need to prepare to be judged by God. You know, one of the, one of the greatest questions of life is how come everyone driving slower than you is an idiot and everyone driving faster than you is a crazy person. And I have found myself that when I'm driving and someone passes by me super fast, I really hope a police officer comes out of nowhere and catches them. But when it's me blowing by people really quickly, I'm really hoping there's not a police officer for miles and miles around. And it boils down to this. Our tendency is to desire justice for other people, but grace for ourselves Take a moment to let the Lord examine your heart and tell me that that isn't true. We want justice for everyone else, but we want grace for ourselves. For all of our talk about God's judgment and justice, we tend to change our tune when we're the ones being judged, don't we? And all of us are going to be judged by God. In our passage, God judged both the Egyptians and the Israelites. Verse 7 of our passage but among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. You look at that and you think, they didn't both get judged, just the Egyptians got judged. They both got judged, and they were judged by this distinction. To some, it may seem unfair, but it tells us what the basis of judgment is. You see, the Lord distinguishes people not by their works. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Lord distinguishes people not by their works, but by their relational covenant with him. There's no reason to think that the Israelites were of a higher kind and quality than the Egyptians. There's no reason to think they were of a higher moral fabric than the Egyptians. This is Israel before Moses has given them God's law. They don't even know the right things to do. And when you look at what's in the law, some of those are crazy, immoral practices. And, and, and the Lord's giving them that law because, well, they're probably already committing some of these infractions. See, Israel wasn't spared because they they were of a higher moral quality than the Egyptians. Israel was spared because they were God's people. They were his covenant people. They were living in relationship to him. They belonged to him. We read later in, in Exodus chapter 12, it goes on to explain what this is all about. Exodus 12, verses 6 and 7, and then 13, when the whole, then the whole assembly of 
and of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. The blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This blood is representative of a sacrificial lamb upon which God took justice for the sins of Israel. The sins of Egypt would be met in the deaths of the firstborn, but the sins of Israel were being met in the death of this lamb. The blood smeared on their houses indicated that they belonged to the Lord. They were his possession. And it was a foreshadowing of the ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus Christ himself. You see, just like the blood protected the Israelites from God's judgment, the blood of Jesus protects us from God's judgment because it means the price for our sin has already been paid. It was Paul who said, now you've been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away, but now you've been brought near to him. How? Through the blood of Christ. You didn't do it yourself. It's not because you're a good or moral person. It's not because you give to charity. It's because of the blood of Jesus. The Lord still makes a distinction between his people, and that distinction is demonstrated through the blood of Jesus over our lives. You know, sometimes we forget that as the bearers of injustice, we have at times perpetrated injustice. There are people watching even now who've been forgiven little, and there are those of you watching, you've been forgiven a great deal. All of us need the Lord's forgiveness in our lives, and it's the only way we can be justified by the Lord. It's the only way we can find the strength to endure the injustices of the world. You see, the best way to prepare for judgment is to make Jesus our Lord and Savior. Let me ask you, are you prepared to be judged by the Lord? You know, it's a pretty common experience in households where one spouse tends to take much longer getting ready than the other spouse. And sometimes I think while my wife's getting ready, the, the time that I spend waiting for her, maybe I could use that to do something productive like writing a book or painting the entire house. Because uh, there's a lot of time sometimes. Have you ever found yourself waiting a long time on someone? I know some of you have found yourself waiting a long time for God to bring justice to a certain situation, to our world. You find yourself asking, why is it taking so long? You know, earlier this year, my son was, was playing basketball in a league. And in one particular game, they were up big in the last quarter. But the coach kept pressing the attack. He kept calling timeouts. He kept coaching up the boys. I couldn't figure out why coach was trying to run up the score in a game of 10-year-old kids playing, playing a, a game that didn't count for much of anything. And then I realized what he was trying to do. He is trying to take every opportunity to get every kid on the team an opportunity to score, to share in the taste of the victory. Now, I want you to know one reason it feels like justice is such a long time coming is because God is wanting everyone to have the opportunity to taste of his victory. He's wanting everyone to have the opportunity to come into his family, to know him, to live in covenant relationship with him. This is the restaurant that stays open late so they can feed the people who are hungry late. This is God bearing patiently with us so that more and more people can come into his family. I believe that's why it feels like justice is taking forever. And you know, we look at our, our passage of scripture, and I think about 
how for hundreds of years the Israelites languished in Egypt, but God remembered them and he redeemed them from their slavery. I think about how, how, how he took someone like Paul who perpetrated injustice and persecution against Christians and, and he transformed his, his life. He transformed him into a new person. He gave him a new name, Paul, and used him to be a great leader in his church. That's the work unfolding even among us today. In Exodus 13, Moses told the people, this is a day to remember forever. The day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today, the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand. And I want you to know that is exactly what the Lord is doing today. He is rescuing us from injustice through the power of Jesus. So we should always remember, number one, that the world has always had injustice. Number two, that God is bringing about injustice. Number three, that God is going to judge us. Number four, God is going to rescue his people. You may be wondering, what can, what can I do about injustice? Well, our church has put together a justice and unity team. You can email info at celebrationchurch.org for more information on that. I want to point out that the catalyst for God sending Moses to Pharaoh, to Egypt, was because he heard the cries of the Israelite people. That ought to compel us to pray, to cry out to the Lord for the injustice around us that we see. And just like the Lord distinguished between Egypt and Israel, we've got to make sure that we are prepared for the judgment that we're going to face. If you're going through injustice, if you're seeing it, it's time to cry out to the Lord. But one thing everyone needs to do is prepare to be judged by God. Here's my question for you. If you were to die today and stand before the Lord and go through his judgment, would the Lord say, Welcome, my dearly loved son or daughter. Or would he say, depart from me because I never knew you. Today is the day to experience God's justice intimately and personally. And so I want to lead you in a prayer where you can pray to surrender your life to Jesus, accepting God's forgiveness, becoming a part of his family, and experiencing having your own sins and shortcomings justified by the sacrifice of Jesus that was paid on your behalf. If you'd like to surrender to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, and then I'm going to pray for everyone else who's watching. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I now believe that you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that you love me, you died for me, and you rose to new life. So I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord be my savior, to pay the price for my sins. Let me have a rich relationship with you in this life. Fill me with your presence and power and provide a home for me in heaven when I die. Listen, if you prayed that prayer with me, I'd love it if in the chat you would say, I prayed. We want to be able to follow up with you. We want to help you take the next step. Or you can go to webcc.info and go to the Made a Decision tab. I want to pray for everyone else who is watching. Lord Jesus, you are a God of justice. And help us be a people of justice. A people who pray for justice. A people who do justice. So Lord, help us to remember when we encounter injustice that it's been around for a long time. Help us to believe when we encounter injustice injustice, that you are in fact going to bring about justice 
And Lord, let us prepare for the day of our judgment. Let us give you more and more control over our lives. Lord, we pray that you'll use us to bring about justice as we call it out and cry out to you. In Jesus' mighty and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.